If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien and now Nicole Braddock Bromley. Yay, we're back. So excited to be back again in 2021. Glad to get rid of that last year, although this one didn't really start off too great. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I kind of want a refund, if you know what I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm real excited, though, to have a special guest with us. She is Janita Nichols. And um, Janita is an author of a new novel that's out. It's based on a true story. It's called The Secrets of My Mother, Breaking yes. Free from Generational Curses and Trauma. Welcome, Janita. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, you're coming all the way from Texas, correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, yes, yeah. So Mary and I are both based in Columbus, Ohio, and I believe, and you're going to unpack the nitty gritty, but your story goes back to Ohio, right? Yeah, Cincinnati. I'm from Cincinnati. Yep, You're from the Natty. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard it said like that in a long time. But yes. well, you come back to Ohio. I got a lot of friends that call it that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, ma'am. from Cincinnati. I was born in Cincinnati, raised till about, uh, I want to say 12. And then I moved to Latonia, Georgia. And then when did you end up in Texas? So I moved back to Cincinnati, oh. I want to say when I was around like 17, 18. Um, and then I moved to Georgia, I mean, to Texas about in 2019, July of 2019. We New territory. Ohio, I'm sure. <laughs> Do not you, miss me. I was going to say, as back. you share your story, I'm sure it's like, mm, let's not. Yeah. Well, let's go. Mm. Let's go there with you, Janita. I know, you okay. know, as you write about in your book, which um, thank you so much for sending me that, um, you know, you talk about how generational trauma is something that we I think as survivors know exists, but yeah. it's oftentimes hard to kind of go there to really dig up the roots. Um, yeah. So could you take us back as you, um, as you do in your, in, in your book and as you talk, take yeah. us back to, to the beginning, you know, where your story kind of started and um, we'll, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, well, when I was around uh, six or seven years old, I think that that was where, that I can remember. One thing that I always say is I don't really remember my childhood much um, as much as, you know, my brothers and sisters. It seems like all I remember the traumatic incidents. And I believe when I was around six or seven was the first time I was introduced to uh, sex by a cousin of mine who uh, forced me to give him oral sex. And so as I, as a child, I didn't know this. So all I know is everywhere that I went, um, every male that was introduced to my life in some shape or fashion, uh, either manipulated the fact that I had this deep desire to just be loved and be accepted. Mm -hmm. I didn't know my father. So that male bond is something that was missing. And so I feel like they knew that. And it was like a, a thing that they took advantage of. And so when I was around, I want to say like nine or eight my mother met a man who ended up being my stepfather of course because she married him 
And he started to try to fill that role of my father. And so the trust was there in the beginning and, you know, the, the affection of a male, I hadn't received it before. Mm -hmm. So the affection, the hugs, the, you know, the, just whatever it was that he tried to do, it eventually escalated to where it became sexual. Mm -hmm. And so as I, you know, continuing to go through the abuse that I went through, I discovered when my mother caught me in the bathroom that my sister had been going through abuse with the same cousin that uh, did it to me, but I didn't know. And so at that point I told her, yeah, he did it to me too. He was arrested. Um, I think he went on a run, but then we ended up having to go to the hospital and do like all of these rape kits and everything, you know, with the police. And then on our way home, I felt the confidence to say, well, wow. So I can say something because they had, they gave me the impression that I couldn't say anything Mm -hmm. about what was happening. Mm -hmm. And so I told her about my stepfather and she just got quiet. She didn't say anything the rest of the way home. Like after I told her. And so once we went there, she goes in the room, she questioned him about it. And they called me in the room later. And he's like, I'm talking about like a Emmy award winner for just Mm -hmm. the show of like tears and emotion. How could you say I did this to you? I would have never done this. I love you. I'm just trying to be a father. And my mother's just looking at me with the face of disappointment. Like, Mm -hmm. how could you do this? And I was so confused. And then it was like, I got put on punishment. And Mm so as I'm continuing to go through this trauma and, you know, when I go to family events, my family start fighting and members of my family just didn't get along. I realized, you know, my mother's always arguing with her mother and just all this different conflict is going on. And so me being the smart and curious person I was, I just started asking questions, not to my mother because she never would tell me anything. But then I found out like, oh yeah, your mother accused this person of abusing her, her brother of accused of abusing her. And nobody believed her. And it was like, I started to see like all these different patterns yeah. of things that was occurring. And then my grandmother told me her story. And oh, so wow. as I began to mature and just unpack what it was that was occurring with me, I just started to realize like, yo, this didn't, it didn't start with me. It was just like something that was just being passed down and everyone was becoming numb to, numb to it and kind of accepted it as the norm. Absolutely. And then when I had my own children, the mm-hmm. love that I had for my children, I couldn't imagine them having to go through the same thing Mm -hmm. and I realized that most of the trauma that I went through was because my mother never spoke out about hers and she Mm -hmm. never said anything at least to us like she Mm -hmm. never shared those parts of our her story with us and I was like I'm gonna do differently with mine and so it wasn't like a overnight sensation where I just like woke up and was like oh I gotta break these curses I never understood what I was doing I just Mm -hmm. started doing the steps and then it was like later on I was able to put a name to it of just breaking generational curses Mm -hmm. wow and I do want you to break down some of what you learned along the way when it comes Mm -hmm. to that how old were you when your grandmother shared with you I was young because me and my grandmother was close. So my grandmother was like an open book to me. So, you know, I I think that kind of made us closer is when she was telling me all the things that her mother did to her, you know, the time she was like locked in closets and stuff like that. And those kind of those stories kind of like just poured at my heart, pulled at my heart. And so from a young age, me and my grandmother has always been close. And so I would have told her about my stepfather, but 
in my house, it was like this rule of like, what happens in my house stays in my house. And I remember I I accidentally told someone something that wasn't related to the sex, but I told someone one thing, I think it was about me seeing drugs in the house. Mm -hmm. And my mother literally beat me and Mm -hmm. was like, don't you ever tell anybody what goes on in my house because you got to come home to me. So you think Mm -hmm. they're going to pretend it was like this fear that I had of just saying anything. And so that's kind of yeah. when I just like held everything in. But mm-hmm. my stepfather was just, I don't know, he was just a monster, honestly, you know, mm-hmm. with the sex abuse with me and my sisters and then the physical abuse that he did to my mother and to my brothers. It was just, mm-hmm. it was horrible. Mm-hmm. When your grandmother opened up to you, did, was there something that you said to her that started to break you down, her down to tell you, or did you always have that, that close relationship? Cause I feel like a lot of the black grandmas I know, they don't want to talk about that kind of stuff. Like they're just little hard asses, but like, I love that about them. But at the same time, like they've, for the ones I know and love, it's like, they want to portray this fierce, you know, brave. And this is just how it is, you know, but for her to be vulnerable with you, that's kind of surprising. Yeah. So my mother, one thing, so the reason why my grandma was so close is my mother had me at 14. And when she had me, um, she couldn't, of course, raise me. So I was raised by my in the beginning by my grandmother and my aunt. Mm -hmm. So my grandmother kind of what she told me was she took the opportunity of raising me to kind of correct the mistakes that she made with, you know, my mother. Because when my mother was born, excuse me, my grandmother was a drug addict. She was addicted to crack. And so was my mother's father. Mm. And so there was a lot of things that she missed out on a lot of things that she didn't do. And I think that the regrets that she had from my mother, she kind of, you know, tried to do differently with me. And me and my grandmother was together all the time. Like we talked on the phone all the time. We just had this really close relationship. And I don't think it was ever like a sit down. Okay. She's like, hey, let me tell you my story. Yeah. I was always someone who asked questions. I always uh-huh. asked questions. <laughs> and I think my grandmother actually did ask me before if my stepdad was doing anything to me. And I think wow. her sharing her story was kind of like trying to get me to say something, but I was so afraid yeah. of, okay, if I tell you what's going to happen when I get home. Um, right. And it was just, it was like, I just, I didn't, but I think that that's kind of why. And mm-hmm. then a lot of the things that she went through was not news to the family. Like a lot of people already knew some of the things she went through and especially when she was, you know, doing drugs. And mm-hmm. I think that most of the older people knew, but, you know, I feel like we still have that closeness to where she just, she trusts me. She knows yeah. that I love her purely and I don't have any, you know, intentions of hurting her. And I think that's kind of why she was willing to open up. Mm-hmm. So did, did she believe you? Do you think when you told her everything was cool with your stepdad or do you no. think she was? Yeah. She didn't believe me. She, she told me later on when everything came out, cause the way that the family found out, you know, a lot of people were mad at me because I didn't just tell them and they no. felt like, isn't that they were funny? Hurt. Like yeah. somehow like <laughs> this has something to do with them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it was like people were upset with me because they were like, well, I thought, you know, you trusted me. I thought it was somebody that you thought you could trust. And why didn't you tell me? And it was hard, you know, yes. and then I think when that door started to open to where people started to like really ask questions. Mm-hmm. My perception is that's why my mother moved us all the way to Georgia. And so oh. it's kind of it's kind of like it was hard to do it as a kid because one, I still loved my mother. I didn't understand 
you know, why I couldn't have a close relationship with my mother, even yeah. with all the pain. You know, I saw her doing drugs. I saw her doing alcohol. So in my mind, it was like she's just hurting. Yeah. And so I, I didn't know I couldn't navigate, you know, through those different feelings and emotions until I got older. Yeah. And as a survivor of child abuse, like you want to protect everybody else, like you're willing yeah. to take on all of this trauma in order to keep everyone else happy, to keep everybody yeah. under the same house. So that makes so much sense. Yeah. So how old were you then yeah. when you told your mom? The first time I want to say I was around 10, I was around nine. And I mm -hmm. told her a bunch of times. I didn't just tell her once. I told her a bunch of times. Yeah. And it got mm -hmm. to the point where it was like a game to my stepfather. Like, I Ooh. remember, I want to say I was around like 14 or 15 and he did something. And I was like, I'm going to tell my mom what you did. And he was like, I don't care. Tell her I'll take you to her. And at this time, she was working at a bar mm -hmm. and he made me get in the car. We drove to the bar. And he made her come outside. And as soon as she came out, she was upset. Like, what do y'all want? Why are y'all bothering me? I know I'm at work. And I was like, well, mom, I want to tell you something. And I said, mom, this is what he's doing to me. And she just let me have it and said, I've already told you, stop coming to me with that. Whatever it is that y'all have going on, y'all need to resolve it. Y'all need to work it out. And she pretty much let me have it. We got in the car. He handed me some money again and said, I told you she wasn't going to believe it. He started laughing and it was like a joke. And so... Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that was that was it. So you had so much courage to be able to tell over and over. And I am like amazed that you kept trying because at that point yeah. I would just almost give up. And I mean, that must have been just devastating to feel it not was. heard, not protected. And then you got your abuser who's like manipulating you and using it against you. But at yeah. that point, as a kid, it's probably all these lies are just continuing to grow that I'm not yeah. worthy of protection. This is what I'm made for. This is what everybody goes through. Because I mean, yeah. for myself, I held it in. I was always hinting at people like my teachers and my coaches and different people mm -hmm. that something was going on. And then when no one caught on to the hints, it did. It made those lies dig bigger roots to make me think that like this is yeah, what he's thing. telling me is true. Um, yeah, that I, it's the same thing. I have to go through. But you actually were saying it. Yeah. You know, like I was always like, well, I'm still just hinting it. Like they're just all idiots and they're not catching on. You literally were telling <laughs> yeah. them this is what's happening. And you yeah. wrote that you then subsequently were a victim of over 300 rapes by other men in your family. Like this yeah. almost allowed like people not believing you. In my opinion, reading your story now has enabled others to take advantage of you. Yeah, they feel like they could do the same thing because there was. But it was like, even if people knew it wasn't that they didn't know, it was just considered normal. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of where it was to me where I was like, you guys are sick. Like, how is this? How is this normal? You know, because my stepfather's brother did the same mm -hmm. thing, his cousin. And it was like every male that I, I, I became to the point where I was just afraid. It was where I couldn't exist in the same space with a male because I didn't trust their intentions. And so it's just it's like like you said, I gave hints to I remember I was walking one day and I told one of my cousins and he just reacted like it was normal. Like this was a cousin who didn't do anything. And I was hoping that me told him would like make him go tell somebody else. But he kept my secret. It was like he kept it as a secret. Mm -hmm. And it's, it was like it was this twisted mindset to where I just was like, this is normal to people like yeah. abuse and trauma in this family is normal. You guys are sick and I refuse to be a part of it. 
And kind of like in my story, which, you know, is the cover, a lot of people ask me like, what was happening? This, like when I was 14, I had, I didn't know at the time that my stepdad was, you know, molesting my sister as well. I thought it was just me. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night and my sister wasn't in her bed. And I was like, where is she? So I got up and I saw my stepdad door was open. Mm-hmm. So I just, and we had these stairs that where you could like sneak and like slide down them and not, it was like a shadow on the wall if they saw you. But if you like lay on a step, that's how we figured out how to steal snacks. <laughs> oh, got you. <laughs> was we would slide down the steps. So I remember sliding down the steps and we had a couch that separated our living room and our dining room. And I remember crawling over and peeking over it. And I saw my stepfather on top of my sister and I was so afraid and didn't know what to do that I hurried back up the stairs and I just went back in my bed and I felt like a coward. Like I can't even explain how I felt as if like I was supposed to save her and I didn't. And when she came back in the room, all I could do was cover my face and cry because I'm like, I should have did something. I should have helped her and I didn't. So I started to try to make myself more appealing Mm -hmm. to make him want to be attracted to me and not to her because I knew that telling my mother wasn't going to do anything. And we were in the middle of nowhere in Georgia with no phone, no way to contact people. So I couldn't call, you know, my aunt or my grandmother. And so it was like, Mm -hmm. okay, just do what you have to do. So then after a while, I started to feel like, well, am I still being abused? Like my mind started to be confused. Like, is this still considered abuse if I'm allowing it or I'm intentionally trying to get him to come on to me so he didn't come on to my sister? And so I thought in my mind that he wasn't doing anything with her anymore until the day which this book was based on um, the Mm -hmm. first chapter, which was when I came back to the house and I found him in her room. Mm -hmm. And when I walked over to the closet and I saw her balled up in his closet crying, it was like all the courage that I didn't have that day. I had it. It was like, I was like, I don't care. I'm gonna kill you. Um, and he was like, who are you talking to? And next thing I know, we both in there fighting. Of course I'm not winning, but you're going to get everything I got. (laughs) And I'm literally fighting for my sister. My mother was in jail at the time. So my -hmm. other sister who I found in the closet, she went and got a golf club. My brothers went and got knives and we're all, this was real. (laughs) I mean, this wasn't, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's choking me on the wall. And it was like it got to the point where, you know, I couldn't see out of one of my eyes. I think one of my eyes were swollen and I was bleeding really bad. And as he was choking me on this wall, I saw them and I just was like, I don't got the energy to fight. Like, just kill me. Like, that's what I'm thinking. Like, just Mm. at this point, just kill me. I'm I'm sick of this. I don't care no more. And so I spit in his face and then he slammed me on the ground and he dragged me by my hair through the hallway and into my room. And when he threw me in my room, I was laying there and I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to kill myself. Like for what? She's going to get out of jail. She's going to come home. And I don't want to live this life anymore. I, I just don't. And as I'm sitting there thinking about this, he's literally in the other room cursing out my brothers and sisters and beating them because of what they tried to do to help me. And as I, I'm thinking about this, I said, I can choose myself and leave or I can choose my family and I could try to find a way myself to save us. And it was like, I felt like God was speaking to me. Something just said, jump out the window. I didn't know where I would go. If I jumped Mm -hmm. out the window, I knew my shoes were downstairs. So I'm like, I'm barefoot and I'm bleeding. And I was like, it's either all or nothing. And I pushed the blinds out the way and I just jumped out the window and I ran. Mm -hmm. And this, the cover of my book is literally, this is the exact house 
I went back to the house that it happened at and I literally just I asked the lady, can I use it? And I reenacted that whole scene of how I looked, how I felt. And I just ran across the field and got help. Wow. And you were 16. Mm -hmm. And your siblings then knew what you were yeah. going through, what you were running from. Every, it was out. Everybody knew. I happened. think my brother's sisters knew. Mm -hmm. What happened then? So you're running. Then what happened? So next? I remember when I first jumped out the window, before I even ran across the field, I heard a window open. And I thought it was him. So I got scared and I like leaned up against the building. But it was my brother. And my brother was crying. It was like, Janita, please take me with you. Take me with you. And I was wow. like... I was like, no, I'll be back. I promise. And he was like, please don't leave us here. And I was like, I'm not. I'm not going to leave you out here mm -hmm. and I'll be back. So they knew. I think my brothers and sisters, they knew what was going on from him because it wasn't it wasn't quiet. But nobody knew what to do about it. Like mm -hmm. we knew we saw my brothers getting beat. I'm talking about beat to where it was like their skin was peeling type of beatings mm -hmm. and bruises and couldn't go to school. And so we all were just so confused. And so while I was running across this field, all I could just hear over and over in my head again was everything that I ever, it was like a movie. <laughs> it was like, all I could hear is just everything that they ever told me, yeah. the place that they told me I would never be. And I just kept mm -hmm. thinking about, I, I was scared. Part of me was scared because I was like, what is my mother going to say when she come home? Are the police going to believe me? Uh, mm -hmm. What's going to happen? So I jumped across the fence and I run through this like Creek area. Then I come out the other side and I saw a big field and I saw a church. Um, at the corner and I heard it's weird I don't know how I heard it but I heard music like you know like if they're having a church service you hear like the tambourines and all that oh, stuff yeah yeah so I knew someone was there and I heard you know I saw cars in the parking lot so I go inside and I go up to the lady and as soon as I got in the building I collapsed mm. like I was I was out of breath I think I had passed out she got me some water and set me up and just asked me what's wrong and then at that point I just I let it all out. I told her everything. And I was wow. like, this is my last chance and my last shot to just, just tell the somebody. First, the church secretary. Yep. <laughs> exactly. The usher. And wow. So she, yeah. She called the police and the police came. And when the police came, you know, I told them everything and they was like, well, we need you to take us to the house. And I was like, no, he can't see me. Like, I don't, he can't see that I showed you. So they had me lay down in the back of the police car and then they drove past the house and just told me to point it out. And then they said they will take him out before they take me in. So they drove down the street. They walked out. They arrested him. And some lady showed up. My mother's friend showed up and told the police, like, she's lying. I've been here the whole time. None of that is happening. Nothing to what she said. But I was so happy that the police believed me. And so okay. for the first time, yeah. I felt like, yeah, somebody believed me. And so mm -hmm. they came, they taped up our house, and they took him to jail. And then that was the beginning of what I would love to say was a fairy tale, but mm -hmm. it was like the beginning of the end. <laughs> yeah. So. It was like chapter one. One, yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right, <laughs> like now what's one. next? Yeah. So, yeah. wow. So that was super brave of you I and mean, yeah. so dramatic. And I mean, yeah, yeah if it had ended there great. I you yeah. could be like, I'm the hero of my story. I finally did. And then the church lady came and all the things and everyone was in their role on that day. Finally, after yeah. all these years. Um, yeah. But it wasn't. So what came next for you then, Janita? So they ended up taking us into the system. They took me and my sister from the home. And okay. um, mm -hmm. I remember we were at the hospital. We had to get rape kits again. It was nothing I was, you know, 
not familiar with. And I remember the lady from Children's Services coming in and she told my mother, like, we're going to have to take them. And she was like, I don't give a F, take them. And she left. Um, she left out of the hospital. Um, and that was the last time we had saw her for a very long time. Um, and when they took us, we ended up in the system and me and my sister were together initially, but I had so much anger inside of me because mm -hmm. of, you know, my sister was different than me. My sister, it hurt her that my mother abandoned us to me. It relieved me. And so because she wanted this relationship with my mom, initially she blamed me for us having to be separated and she was angry at me like you should have just let it just keep going like why did you just now we're alone and I just kept telling like you just have to trust me I don't know how this is going to work out but it's going to work out but this was the best thing like he's gone and you don't have to be hurt anymore and I just wanted to protect her you know mm -hmm. I just wanted to try to and so we ended up in the system Long story short, I got to put out of, I got put out of every group home that I went to um, because of my behavior. Wow! <laughs> I got kicked. I got kicked out of almost five or six high schools. Um, I was just angry. You got I was just, kicked I was out like, of five really? or six high schools. I can't tell you how many high schools <laughs> I went to. I can't. <laughs> I can't tell you. I was moving. I I got kicked out of everywhere. I got kicked out of every group home because yeah. I was fighting. It was just. It was horrible. Yeah. Um, just and one all thing of I, those years of uh, the trauma was just finally letting loose yeah and yep. well some some of the places that I went to were very like judgmental because at this time um as you can see on the cover I you know I had the image of a boy I was a lesbian at this time I dated women and mm -hmm. to every place that I went it was like you're not gonna tell me what I can and can't do you're not gonna tell me how mm -hmm. I have to dress and so I just had this bonus about me was like this is me you either accept it or you don't and yeah I didn't understand how to process what we were going through because mm -hmm. at this time he hadn't been convicted so mind you he's still in jail and then he got bailed out so he's free and mm -hmm. we're in the system and he got bailed out by my mother so it's like all of these things and these dynamics just is running through my mind and I just I didn't know how to function through it or understand it. And right. so I ended up going to jail. Um, I think I want to say I was, it was like six months into me being in the system. I ended up going to jail and I was in there for about six months. What? And Yeah. <laughs> I Ooh. ended up going to jail and it was pretty hard. It wasn't like, I wish it was like the jail in Cincinnati where it was like this freaking babysitter's club. <laughs> it was like in the middle of nowhere with the barbed wire fences and you literally are like, next to the women's prison and you get an hour on the yard and mm. the rest in your cell and it was really really hard for me and so at this time I blamed God I blamed just everybody because of where I was and sure. I just I couldn't understand it I was like why does this have to be my life like mm. you see people with good lives you see people who are happier people who's never been through trauma and you kind of like well why did you choose me like why mm -hmm. you could have you know gave that to Sarah but you chose me and so it yeah. was very hard uh, for me to navigate. Could you that. make that connection at that point in your life of no, no, you just no. felt like you were bad. Like you couldn't yeah. connect like even the whys, like of why did I have to grow up in this family? Why did I have to grow up in this skin? Why did I have to grow up in this town? None of that. Mm. It was more just no, like, because this is me. And why yeah, am I Because I felt like a victim. I just felt like a victim. Like I, I didn't have that victorious mentality. I had the mentality of, I was still living through it and it was just who I was and what I have to accept and what I was created to do. And it's not fair. And yeah. I believe at that time, I just, I mm -hmm. was just so focused on the trauma that it took for me to mature a little bit more to try to see 
you know, one, I had to realize that the trauma that I had went through wasn't causing me to react in a way and become a person that I didn't want to be because I had a really good heart and I love people. Um, yeah. I love serving people and mm-hmm. I love being happy and smiling and being the life of the party. So I was like, I don't want to be like my mother. That mm. was the biggest, I think that was the biggest driving force for me changing my life. So me deciding to change wasn't because I was like, I want to be, you know, free from this and I want to evaluate my trauma. Mm. I didn't want to be like my mother and whatever that looked like, I tried mm-hmm. to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. But as I continue to do the opposite, I realized like, yo, you're just building yourself a costume. Like you're just mm. wearing this mask and you're yeah. trying to run from her shadow, but you're still not running towards your purpose. So it was kind of like I still felt dead in that moment. And I continued to, even as an adult, battle with depression, battle with identity, battle with the fear, you know, that I had. And because I was broken, I started to accept things in my life and people in my life that were hurting me. But it was mm-hmm. like I was used to it. So when oh, I yeah. finally. Yeah. So it was just like for me, I just that was my mission was to not be like my mother, not be mm-hmm. like my mother. And that's what I told myself every day. So when I got my career, it was like, OK, my mother never had a career. So go ahead and get a career and get a job. Mm-hmm. And this is going to change things, you know, get a relationship with God because maybe it'll fit. like it was just like mm-hmm. I was trying to do all these different things to put a bandaid on what I was yeah. truly experiencing or going through versus actually dealing with it. Hmm. So what point was it when you were like, okay, just doing the opposite of everything she did is not Mm -hmm. the fix. I got to do this. Like what, when was that? And what did that look like for you? It was 2019. Okay. Um, I had, that was just a minute ago. (laughs) I know. Right. So it was, I did little things to what I felt like making a difference. So like when I was a police officer, it was like, if I came across somebody with trauma, I tried to encourage them like, hey, look at my life. I came through it. You can come through it. So I tried to minister to people through that aspect of my life. Mm -hmm. But then when I would go home or when I was in reality, it was like I was still dealing with it. So I was a police officer in Cincinnati. I went through um, sexual um, harassment there. I went through a lot on the department, uh, being a female, being an attractive female and then being a black female. My voice was not heard. Um, I had supervisors that were doing things and my trauma, it didn't help from someone who was already traumatized. Mm -hmm. So I began to like literally hate my career, hate the department. And the biggest thing I said was, I just want to get the heck up out of Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. So I prayed about it and I felt like God led us to Texas. And so Mm -hmm. my mission and my goal was to come to Texas and continue to be a police officer, just do it somewhere else. And when I got here, I couldn't find a police job. And that depressed me because now the mask that I was wearing, I couldn't continue to wear because I didn't have the things that afforded it, you know, that allowed me to do it before. So I I feel like last year or 2019, I ended up going through like, I would say a really bad depression. Mm -hmm. I was really depressed and I felt like I was at a place in my life to where I had to actually stop running and look at my trauma. Like Mm -hmm. I had to literally confront the things that I was doing to try to make myself look good. And, you know, I had the car, I was traveling, I had the family, all these things that I've built for myself. Yeah. It was yeah. like all those things were gone. And mm. when they were gone, I was forced to look at who I truly was. Yeah. And I did not like what I saw when I had to look <laughs> at <laughs> yeah. who I truly was. 
a lot has risen to the surface in 2020. If you're a survivor of sexual abuse, the isolation, unknowns, and exhaustion may be enough to have you searching for a safe place to belong, a place where questions are welcome and your story is safe. Maybe you've experienced some healing, but you long to be unleashed. I am Nicole Braddock-Bromley. I'm an author, an activist, and a sexual abuse survivor. And I am so excited to tell you about something I've been working on. It's an eight-session e-course and virtual support group where you'll meet virtually with survivors just like you who are in various places on the lifelong journey of healing from sexual abuse. And I'm super pumped to let you know that I will be co-leading all of the live groups that are starting in February. This road is long, but we don't have to walk alone. Join us as we make 2021 a year to become Unleashed, where you can experience belonging and free your wild soul. Unleashed has officially launched. Grab your seat. Get signed up now at IamOneVoice.org. That's IamOneVoice.org. The big quote that's on your website said, your healing is more important than your image. And I thought, Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And And your story really shows that because, you know, people could look at, hey, she went through so much. She, you know, all the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, not being believed. Her family's got all this dysfunction. She ends up in jail. Now she's out and she's a police officer. She's doing it. She's got her family now. But no, you're like, nope. Yeah, it was still I have the image. The image. I, yep. girl, I lived in that. Okay. I had the social media friends. I had the following. I had all these people. Like, I just want to be like you and you got it going on. And mm-hmm. I'm happy driving my new 2019 car with the tenant windows. And <laughs> I'm just, I'm living a life. You see yeah. me on the beach taking pictures. And mm-hmm. it was like this whole time, I'm just putting on this show to be affirmed or approved by people mm-hmm. and to be accepted. And I'm still doing what I did as a child. I'm just doing it on a bigger scale now. And last year, I mean, 2019, I keep saying last year because 2021 is so new, but no, let's go ahead and put it where it is. Two years ago. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And so the crazy part is I had got into an accident to where I almost died. Mm -hmm. Um, I lost my car. I can't remember much about the accident. I know I had a head on collision and I woke up and it was like a mess. So I lost the car that I built my life on. I lost the job that I built my life on. Everything around me that I used to, you know, build this life, it was just gone. Mm. And I had nothing. It was just me and God. And I talked about it before, but when I got to that point and I had to like look at myself and mm-hmm. see myself, I was like, I didn't like what I saw. And I felt like I was better off dead and everyone was better off without me. Dang. And so I had planned my suicide. Um, I was serious. I, I was like, um, that morning, my son came in the room and he asked me, was I okay? And at this time, my depression had led me to the place that I was stuck in a bed for like two months. I couldn't eat. I lost so much weight. I couldn't sleep. I had nightmares. Um, me sleeping at night was tormenting. Like I literally felt like the devil was standing over me, just mocking me for what I went through, the, mm. the guilt of what I tried to create for myself. It was like, I felt like someone was laughing at me. It was like very uh, tormenting. And so I had made up in my mind the day that I was going to kill myself. My son came in the room and said, mom, are you okay? And I said, yeah. Cause I was at the place where I couldn't even interact with my children. I couldn't, I didn't even, it felt like I didn't love them, but I knew that I loved them, mm-hmm. but I felt disconnected 
Um, mm-hmm. And I, it was like dark spaces around me. So he left out for school and I had made up my mind. I said, when I'm going to get up, I'm going to take my three-year-old to daycare. Um, I think she was two at the time. I said, I'm going to take her to daycare and then I'm going to come home and I'm going to do it. So I go take her to daycare. I'm going along with the plan. I'm on my way home. And as I'm coming home, I turn off the music because honestly, Christian and gospel music convicts me. And I didn't want to be convicted. I didn't want to like <laughs> feel the guilt. I turned yes. everything off so no influences. And I was getting ready to turn my <laughs> phone off. And my son's school start calling me. And I was like, oh my God, like, what is it that they want? So I yeah. answered the phone. It was like, we need you to come to the school right away. Mm. And I'm like, is everything okay? But she wouldn't tell me nothing, which pissed me off even more. Sure. So I rushed to the school. I go to the school. Luckily, it's next door to my house. And I was like, ain't nobody about to stop me. I'm still doing this. So I walk into school and I say, yes, ma'am. And she's like, I need you to come to my office. I go in her office. We sit down. She opened up this paper towel and it's a rock in it. And I'm like, okay. She's like, well, someone found your son in a bathroom trying to cut his neck open with this rock. Oh, and I was God. like, excuse me. She was like, yeah, he said that he was trying to kill himself, but he didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And my son finally walked in the room and I just broke down crying because I'm mm-hmm. like the same thing that I was getting ready to do. My son was getting ready to do the same thing. Wow. And it sounds like a movie, but this is real. And so yeah, <laughs> it was it like, we, we, I hugged my son. I embraced him because I didn't know what to say. Yeah. I didn't like, how can I encourage you when I was doing the same? Like I was about to do the same thing. Like what could I possibly tell my son mm. in this moment? And so all I knew was to just show him some sort of affection and love and just, just do whatever I could. So we get in the car and I get mm. ready to drive out the parking lot. And my son, he didn't say anything else about nothing except mama, I know you were lying to me. And I was like, what do you mean I was lying to you? He said, this morning I came in your room and I asked, were you okay? And you told me yes. And I know that you're not. Nicole, when I tell you, it was like water, like I couldn't see for as much as I started crying. And that made me realize like your kids do see everything. Like we think that they don't know and they don't see. He knew that I wasn't okay. He felt it. He literally took on my feelings in that moment. And so we're driving and I was like, Matthew, you're right. I did. Mm-hmm. I did lie to you. And I'm sorry, um, but it's going to be okay. He said, Mom, are you going to be okay? So we get home. I lay him down. And when I lay him down, it was like this clear voice. Like I'm talking about, like I'm talking to you that said the same plan that the enemy has for you, he has for your children. Yeah. It was like God's voice, like it was audible. And even if you don't believe in God in that moment, because I questioned God's existence, Sure. And at that moment, when I heard God say, this is why I need you to listen to me. I'm trying to save you. But this the same agenda he has for you has for your children. And I started to realize, well, yeah, if I kill myself, one, my son was going to do it at the same time. And wow. then now my son is now battling the demons and the, the, the drama that I didn't confront and I didn't put in its place. And then I didn't take the time to try to learn how to get free from, because even in this moment, I didn't know how to break free. I just knew that I had to try and I had to give my, the same way I devoted myself to wearing a mask, the same mm-hmm. way I devoted myself to trying to fix the world around me. I had to devote myself in the same way to trying to get better for my children. And mm-hmm. so I was like, you know what? I walked in my room. I was angry. I was like mad at God because I'm like, listen, you confusing the heck out of me. Like, what do you want for me? Like, what do you want for me? Like, I'm literally angry yelling at God. Like, like, what do you want for me? Like, I'm trying to do whatever I can. I'm trying to live right. You gave me this childhood. Like, I'm literally everything that I had pinned up. I'm letting it out on God and everything that I blamed him for. I, I said it. 
And I literally started to take off my clothes. One, because I got high, but two, I just remember David and the Bible doing it. So I was like, well, huh? I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> but you I got coals on you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was angry, girl. I was so angry. I was crying. I was pacing. I was just doing everything. And I turned on my music and I was just was screaming at God, mostly because I did it because I didn't want my son to hear me. And I just laid there on the floor. And at the moment, I couldn't say nothing. I just wept for I want to what felt like hours I just laid there and I just cried and I released everything and I said you know what God I don't know what walking and healing looks like I don't know Mm -hmm. what confronting this looks like I said but I'm trusting you and I'm gonna just daily just seek you to try to figure out how am I supposed to do this and that's literally where it started so there was no vision of a book there was no, you know, me speaking out about my story. I didn't know that that was going to be part of the steps. Yeah. And I remember like a couple of years ago, God told me to write a book, but I never wanted to because I hated books and I hated writing. And I tried to find every shortcut to get in this book done. But then it was just like, as I continued to see killing, the book still hadn't come into the picture. It was like months of me just trying to get better mentally, like just not being depressed, fighting that depression and being able to come to grips with my story and understanding what I went through and just loving my children better. So I started to do activities with them. And I just, I did those steps. I didn't worry about the bigger picture. It was just like, Mm -hmm. take it one day at a time. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow might not be here. But today I'm going to try to give my best efforts into getting better. So I'm going to read. I'm going to read up on books that speaks to how I feel. I'm going to watch videos. I'm going to watch church sermons. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to pray. And Mm -hmm. for me, what works for me, it may not work for everyone else, but I told you I used to have trouble sleeping because of the tormenting thoughts. Those didn't stop. But what I did was I put on music. I will put on worship music. That's my favorite. And I will put on Mm -hmm. music of like positive influence. And I would, every time those thoughts came, I had to turn on music and start singing the song in order to shut the, the thoughts up. So it yeah. started with me having to put on music as I went to mm-hmm. sleep. I couldn't go to sleep unless music was on because when the thoughts tried to talk, I sung the songs in my head and it helped me to go to sleep. Yeah. So it was like literally taking it as a daily process. Yeah. And then once I got better and I accepted my story and I understood, I heard God told me, I'm going to use your story to save other people. And I, I considered you strong enough to go through what you went through because you have, I built something in you and I'm going to take what the enemy meant for bad. And I'm going to take the pain and I I can give purpose to it. And I didn't believe that. I was like, how could you give purpose to somebody that's been sexually abused all these times who have decided their coping mechanism was for them to fight and to flee and to run and to live in fear. And he Mm -hmm. said, it's just a daily process. And so when God told me he can do that, he left me with no other choice, but the trusting. Like I had nothing to trust myself. I had not, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the career to depend on myself to make myself feel better. I had nothing but God. And so when I wanted to give up, it was like, it's either die or depend on God. Mm. And death wasn't an option for me anymore. So I had to depend on God. And I just, at first I just started writing down what happened to me. I just wrote down my story and eventually it formulated into, okay, we're going to make this into a book. And then that's, daily when the whole ministry began for me to even tell my story and build my platform. Mm. Oh man, there's so much there. You know, I always (laughs) talk about like, that's the steps it's, it's one step and then the next step. And then if you look at the big picture, it's too big to figure out how you're going to get there. And of course that would be so overwhelming to a point of even just wanting to take your life. It's too much. But if you can look yeah. at just what can I do now? What can I do to get me through mm-hmm. this night to help me sleep? 
And what can I do tomorrow yeah. as far as writing out a little bit of my story or, you know, making being intentional as a mom or whatever it is, like those little steps carry you and look what you are now, yeah. like all these little know, steps right? in, in <laughs> a little over a year. Like that's so incredible. And, yeah. and I but also got to be intentional about it. Exactly. Yeah. You have to really commit yeah. to it. And yeah. my guess is too, you had to surround yourself with some healthy influences, which for you, I think it really speaks a lot to what 2020 has meant. Like a lot of times it doesn't mean in proximity with people. Sometimes it means what you said, like the podcast, yeah. Yeah. the music, the sermons, like we can do a lot of these steps even virtually. Yeah, I had to isolate myself and it wasn't because I didn't care about people or I didn't love people, but a lot of the people but that you were didn't in my like life, them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of the people in my life, though, I, I allowed them in my life because they filled a broken area, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like they, they, they fixed the insecurity and it was like, I didn't intentionally cut people off. People just started to leave and people started to be removed and they couldn't handle as that. Ha- yeah. And as that happened, I, I used to question God, like, oh, my God, I'm abandoned. Like people are abandoning me. They don't care about me. They don't love me. Like friends that I thought were my close friends are leaving me. Nobody's talking to me and mm-hmm. they just stopped calling and they're treating me differently. And mm-hmm. so it was like the more I started to heal, I wasn't attracted to those friendships anymore mm-hmm. because I realized that some of those friendships really just catered to my brokenness. And mm-hmm. some of the people in my life didn't want to grow with me. They didn't even want to grow themselves. And I was like, I can't associate myself with things and people that draw me back to that place. And so for Mm -hmm. a lot of people, 2020 was bad and I'm sympathetic because I know a lot of people like, you know, lost their lives and it's it's cliche to say this, but 2020 was like a vision year for me. It was kind of like God just changed my perspective of everything that I looked at in my life that was bad. And he Mm -hmm. showed me the purpose of it. And so every time something happened to me, it could be something as small as me running out of gas And I'm going to sit there and try to figure out the purpose. Like, well, maybe it was about to be a a real bad accident and God is protecting me. I'm like, and that's really where my faith had to go. And he had to start with the little things. And like you said, it was baby steps. And for Mm -hmm. me, everything that happens in my life, I try to figure out the purpose because there's a purpose to everything. Like God doesn't waste anything. That's where my mind went. And what a transformation from the the victim mentality that you once had where, you know, everything, everything was out to get you. And now for you to be able yeah, to when look, you look at, at things like that. When you look at the why of something, you become a victim. And I believe that when you look at the who you can impact because you went through what you went through, that's when you become a victor. And I believe that that transition can occur with anybody and it can happen with anybody. And it's really hard to do. So I am very, you know, sympathetic and compassionate to people who are having mm-hmm. that struggle. But mm-hmm. I promise you for me, when my perspective changed of why did this happen to me to who can I impact by switching yeah. my perspective. And yeah. as I began to speak, it didn't start with me speaking on social media. No. It started with me telling some of the people who are close to my life, mm-hmm. things that I never told them about my abuse. Yep. It started with me confiding in those people mm-hmm. to where it was like, <sighs> that feels great. Yeah. Now, you who, start who where you're at still? with who you're with, like start there. Yeah. And then let it grow as opportunities allow. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, I don't think God ever wanted us to go through any of what we did. However, it happened and it's happening to a lot of other people. And if he can use our story to impact and um, to make a difference in their life and help them get through the moments like you just shared about, like it, 
it brings some purpose. It brings a purpose to yeah. our pain and helps yeah. us to find our healing. So going back to like the generational stuff and the, you know, the trauma that you realized was not just yours. It was your mother's. It was your grandmother's and probably her grandmother's. Yeah. Um, you know, that takes a lot of courage um, to dig those kinds of things up and to know the truth about those things. What advice would you give to survivors who are listening that maybe they are somewhat aware of these kinds of generational things? It's not something they've ever wanted to dig up because they're almost mm-hmm. afraid of it. They're afraid to find out. Um, yeah. What advice would you give them? Would you say that that's something that would be really important for them to do, you know, Um and if so, maybe what, in what way would you, you know, encourage them to protect themselves in the process or even how to begin? Um, that's a very hard question, only because I believe that it's, it's different based on people's situation and circumstances. Sure. Um, my mother was someone who she wanted a relationship with me, mm-hmm. but she didn't know how to navigate past the guilt of mm-hmm. what she did. And I think that when I began to, I believe that the where I would tell anybody to start is not worrying about the secrets someone else is keeping, but the ones that you're keeping and mm-hmm. the ones that you're not speaking out on. And once you can free yourself, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a ripple effect that you will begin to free the people that's attached to you. Mm-hmm. And so when I began to speak out about my abuse with boldness, with courage, with without shame and without guilt, my mother told me recently, I gave her the courage to want to do the same thing because she saw that there was something safe to do. Your and mother told you this. Do- mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she felt because I when I was writing my book and I started to tell my story, when God revealed to me that what I was going through was generational, I said, well, how can I show the generational pattern? Well, I have to go back and tell her story first mm-hmm. and then tell my story. I have to show the relevance. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And so when I went back and I talked to her and she began to slowly start telling me secrets that she never told anybody. Mm-hmm. And I was and one thing that I had to tell her was. Before it was kind of like, I felt like I knew God inspired me to tell me that she's not going to tell you some things because she's afraid of how you might view her. And she's afraid how you might look at her. And I think that if we can look at, especially some of the people that we want in our life, like my stepfather, he could never have a place in my life. Mm -hmm. My mother allowed the abuse, but that's my mother. And when I was able to understand her story, I was able to have compassion. And the, the, the first part for me had to be me forgiving her. And me allowing her to know that I forgave her. That was a step I had to take was I had to forgive the people who hurt me because then what they did no longer controls me. And it doesn't control my actions. It doesn't control how I react. So I forgave my mother. And even if she hadn't changed, even if she was still the same mother that she was growing up, my only responsibility was to love her. And that's what I did. I loved her. And when she showed signs of like, okay, she's still doing the same thing she did when I was a child. I didn't go back to that place of unforgiveness. I stayed in that place and I continued to love her. And it may, I might have to say, well, I can't talk to her today. Mm -hmm. So let me, you know, text her and say, Hey mom, I'm working on something. Love you. Hope you have an amazing day. But in my mind, it's like, okay, she did this, but I'm gonna take it to God and say, okay, God, she did this again. He's like, continue to love, forgive. It was like a daily decision to forgive my mother. 
So it wasn't just like a one moment thing. I believe that forgiveness sometimes can, it, it takes years to, yeah. to fully walk in it. Yeah. But every time she did something that reminded me of the past, or every time she did something that wanted to take me back, I had to choose in that moment to forgive. I could choose yeah. in this moment to internalize it, yeah. or I can choose the nope. I'm not allowing this to fester. I'm not mm-hmm. allowing this to play on my heart. I choose to forgive. So for That's anyone good. else, and I would she didn't even need to thing. know about what you were doing. No, nope. you were choosing. This was just nope. just within you. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I believe that's where it can start for a lot of people is any time that you if you choose that you're going to forgive and move past something and actually do that. And it doesn't mean that the devil's going to stop trying to torment you and remind you, but you have to choose whether or not you're going to accept it. No, mm-hmm. I'm not going to accept that. I don't want to hear that. I've already forgiven her for that. In this moment, again, I choose. It yeah. was like in this moment, I choose. And so for me, that's where it started. And then mm-hmm. when I was able to understand her story and hear yeah. some of the things she went through that I wrote in the book, I was able to say, oh, my God, like I would what would I have done? Mm-hmm. I can't expect her to do anything different. I could say in hindsight what I would have done. But for somebody else who parents was a drug addict and you're 14, just wandering around in the world and no one's believing you. And so you use alcohol and drugs as a way to cope. How would I have expected you? Mm-hmm. You know, I can't judge. I told her I said this. To my, I said, I can't judge you for how you chose to handle your trauma, because I also handle mine in a way that I saw fit. So I can't get upset with you for the way that you chose to handle your trauma. I said to my mother, but this stops now. I said, you cannot feel guilty and continue to feel guilty day after day about what you didn't do as a mother then because you're missing out on the opportunity to be a mother to me now. I said, I don't hold you to the things that you did in the past. I said, but you need to listen to me now for the way that I desire to be loved. Mm -hmm. And there's a way that we can work through it. And me having that communication, open dialogue, she could have not received anything that I said. I said it and I meant it. And I told her I forgave her. And I said, mom, there's a 14 year old girl and there's women out there who allowed abuse to happen with their children who are living in guilt, who's getting addicted to drugs, who's doing things that because they living in that guilt. But if they have they see you speak out, people can look at you and be like, well, how can you speak to me? And you as a mother, let your kids get abused. You're right. I did. And I learned from it. But this is what I learned. You can teach and affect so many other people. You can affect so many other women. And she found courage in that. She mm-hmm. found boldness. And as you like, you know what you write, everybody has their dark past. Everybody yep. has a gloomy story and everybody has a mistake that we can dwell on and point out. I said, but you have to walk in your truth, mom. You have to speak out about the things that you went through. And I believe it was like a daily process for me and her to be able to heal. But for my personal healing, Every day I had to choose to forgive. Like I told you, every day I had to put on music to be able to to sleep at night. Every day I had to choose to make the positive decision in every situation that presented itself. When she hurt me, because she still hurt me along that path, sure. I choose to forgive right then and there. Mm. And so when it comes to breaking generational curses, the generational curse breaks the moment that you choose to break it. And you choose to not let it continue past you. I know that your grandmother might have passed it down. Your mother may have passed it down. But you can choose to not model the same patterns that they did. You can choose to break that and be the difference and say it stops with me. And you make different decisions and you choose to intentionally heal and take it a day at a time. And I believe that that I know that that's where the curse will be broken. Because you're not following those same steps. You're not taking the baggage that they handed down to you and finding a way to doctor it up and make it pretty to give to your children. You're choosing to burn it and you're choosing to set new patterns. Now I I tell my children, I have that conversation. I tell them their body parts. 
I let them know, even I tell them about what trauma looks like. And mm-hmm. I told my children what abuse looked like. Mm-hmm. And I told them before it happened. So I didn't allow them to be introduced to trauma. And then I try to correct it right. or abuse and what it looks like. I tell my children, if someone ever does this to you, you have the safe space to talk to me. And I want you to come and tell me. Mm-hmm. My mother never had that conversation with me. She never told me that. So I, I modeled differently. What, did, what, did, what could I have received? Had my mother told me I had a safe place with her? Had she told me this was wrong, it probably wouldn't have happened in the right. extent that it did. It would have been stopped sooner. And so mm-hmm. I model, I model differently than what it was modeled for me. And I believe that that is the beginning of breaking the curses. You have to introduce the healthy. It's not enough to just not allow it to happen. You have to take behaviors and changes and steps to do different than what actually occurred. Mm. Well, thank you, Reverend Janita. I think I just went <laughs> no, to church. Ma'am. <laughs> no, ma'am. <laughs> yes, ma'am. That that is that's so much truth all packed up into the, all of thank that. Thank you. Yes, because the generational <laughs> thing is so real for so many of us survivors, especially mm-hmm. the mother wound. And yeah. we talked about this on our last podcast, but I think when you look at it, even as generationally, so many of our moms that didn't believe us were not uh-huh. believed or didn't feel that they had a safe place to tell. And so uh-huh. that was then delivered to us. And I love too what you're talking about forgiveness. I follow along with all of that and that's all exactly the same language I use. So I appreciate you um, echoing a lot of that, but I wonder too, if there are times when you've had to make that decision to choose the forgiveness or to choose not to um, let this thing fester. um, But at the same time have had to confront some things, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think it's important to continue that out, to walk that out, to continually daily um, surrendering but at the same time, there are certain times, probably I'm guessing, where you you do have to articulate to your mother, like, this actually is hurtful and we need to talk about it. Like, yes, let's not yes. just and call that, for unity without making some reparations. Yeah. Here. And that was that was part of the conversation when I told her that what it, when I, I communicated my expectations moving forward is I told her because it wasn't just about, you know, her not believing me. It was bigger than that. Yeah. And she... I had to be able to tell her like, mom, I need you to hear what it is that I'm saying. Mm. And I just need you to listen. And I was able to tell her, these are the specific things that you did or did not do, but we can't talk about the past because you're past that. But I'm going to tell you the things that you're doing now. You don't call me and check on me, mom. You don't call and try to spark a random conversation. And these were things that I was like intentional about making sure I communicated was these are the things that I need moving forward for us to have a healthy relationship. Mm. And I wasn't leaving it to, well, this should just be common sense. No, because she may not know how to do those things. It was never modeled for her. She didn't have a, a, a relationship with her mother where they conversed all the time. And so it was like, mm-hmm. I was able to tell her specifically what it is that I need. I need you to call me sometimes and just say, hey, how was your day? What's going on? Care about where I am in my life. Care about the <laughs> progress that I've made. Maybe sometimes tell me that you're proud of me. Don't just post me on social media when I do something good and you want the world to think that you just have this amazing daughter. No, I said, actually be a part of doing that. Uh-huh. So it was kind of like I had to, and I, and this it's crazy because I'm in a place where I'm doing it with everybody in my life. It's not just about my mother, okay. my husband, yeah. my children, 
my sisters and brothers, whoever it is. And if I can't have that relationship with you because you can't respect what it is that I'm telling you that I need, I will still love you from a distance. I will still love you with our relationship just because you forgive someone. They don't have to have access to you. And I think sometimes we misinterpret that to where I forgave her. So maybe if I don't give her access or I don't want to give her access because some people, parents that you forgive, you can't give them access because of where they are. Like Mm -hmm. I forgive my stepfather, but you can't have access to me. Right. You, yeah. Like there's no like we're not gonna sit on the phone and talk about the you know the bad days like oh man it is crazy you know we went through this you know what I'm saying <laughs> like yeah, yeah that was wild that, we went through this. So, that was right. wild and like so, and, and what was even what's even how about them bangles I tried to confront my step <laughs> horrible but I tried to tell my stepfather what happened I think I had a liberty to talk to him once and this sick person thought we were in a relationship and that had me that had me understand like you're not mentally stable. Like something is mentally wrong with you for you to think that I was a child in a relationship with you and that we were in love with each other. You're a sick individual. Mm -hmm. So there's no way that we can have a relationship. So don't think just because you forgive somebody that they have to be a part of your life. No, they, you were a part of my life, but moving forward, I just want you to know that I forgive you. And so I did. What was it about your mom though, that was able enabled you then to have some sort of a relationship was there something that she said to you or was she just willing to admit it that my my mother always apologized for what she mm-hmm. did for us as a kid she okay. all it, it was like a conversation that honestly was like a violin that played in my ear and just agitated my soul because as much as she apologized it was like she wasn't doing what she needed to do to fix it so my mother one as my mother it's my biological mother and she yeah. does she was a part she was in my life but since I allowed her in my life I felt like there was a gap there because of our relationship and the hurt that we went through that we could never like fully like develop a close relationship mm-hmm. so her expressing that she wanted a relationship with me it wasn't forced her expressing that she you know just wanted to make things right but didn't know how like her communicating those things to me by me opening that door because when you forgive somebody you give them the space to change and so Mm -hmm. when I forgave her I gave her the space she needed to change because she felt free she was like okay she's not thinking about this just because I'm thinking about it like she's not upset at me when I feel like oh my god does she remember when I did this and that guilt is not there because Mm -hmm. I let her know I forgave her and so I gave her the space to change by me telling her that and she just communicated a desire to want to be in my life. It wasn't forced. And so since she wanted to be in my life, I forgave her the love that we were able to share. It was like, okay, I want more of this, but in the right way. Mm-hmm. And I think that we both began to do our parts to just try to make the relationship better. And it's not just perfect. It's, it's a daily process. It's like, like I said, a daily choice is a daily you know, every moment of choosing to forgive versus Mm -hmm. to, to hate her or to be like, Oh, you're still the same person. You still making the same decisions. No, I'm like, okay, she making a mistake. I'm going to tell her how I feel about it. And, um, she can take and do with that information what she will. If she chooses that it's too much and she walks away, that's on her, but I'm going to communicate to her when she's hurting me. I'm going to communicate with her when she do something that affects me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that's just, that's the process that we were able to, you know, get to. Hmm. Wow. That's real powerful. And then (laughs) writing your book, you know, this book is not the typical, like, it's not like my books where it's just, this is nonfiction. It's self-help. It's Christian inspiration. It's, this is like a novel and it's based on your story. I think that's so creative. 
and artistic and beautiful. And I just really love that. Um, Was that hard for you or was it easier because it wasn't exactly your story or was it, was it more difficult because it had to, you know, you had to go outside the parameters of what you knew. So what I, when I was writing my book, um, Mm -hmm. what I had to think about was what is it that would have helped me? Um, Mm -hmm. And I needed to see somebody who was vulnerable, Mm -hmm. who were willing to be transparent. And even when I, you know, think back to counseling, Mm -hmm. I wanted somebody who was just real. Like, don't tell me, oh, yeah, I've been through abuse and trauma and this is what you do. No, I want to hear your story. What did you actually go through? <laughs> like, I can't relate to you. I can't relate to you just telling me you were abused. OK, we all were <laughs> abused. But in my right. mind, it was like, but your abuse wasn't like mine. So you don't mm-hmm. understand. But I felt like I wanted mm-hmm. my book to be vulnerable. I mm-hmm. wanted to give a vulnerable story and mm-hmm. I wanted to do something that I felt like hadn't been done. I felt like no mm-hmm. one told their story in a way that I'm trying to tell mine. Like we, we've read books or we've heard stories where people are speaking in third person or just telling the story about somebody who's been through abuse. But I felt like I wanted my readers to connect with me based on the vulnerability that I was willing to have in my mm-hmm. story. And that wasn't easy because there was times where I wanted to hold back certain things. But like you said, and I put on my website, I can't care about people's image when it comes to healing. But my goal was never a book. My goal was to to get into television and to make movies and TV shows about my story so that people can watch them. And that's still my goal. That's still what I'm pushing towards. Mm. And it just happened to be like in book form that it started. Yeah. And I look at this book as like a certification to me branching out to doing what I really want to do. But I tried to make this easy for people to read, but honestly, people don't like reading no more. They want you to tell them, they want you to show them, And it's not really people won't sit down. I don't care how good of a book is and actually get through it. You have some people who will. But I feel like in this generation, a lot of things, like you said, are now audio and visual. Mm -hmm. And I have people even ask me, are you going to do an audio version of this book? And I just be looking like, oh, my goodness, like (laughs) people don't want to read it. So (laughs) it was that's what's wrong with this world. That's what's wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I wanted to be vulnerable, uh, Nicole. I I just really wanted to be vulnerable. And I didn't know what that looked like. And Mm. this book was changed. I had profanity in here. I had all Mm -hmm. types of stuff because when I first wrote it, I just threw it all out there. And Mm -hmm. then I tried to, you know, because of where I want to reach and I want to be able to talk to people in schools and different systems. And I want children like 12th graders to be able to read my book. I had to take away some of the things to make it, you know, audience friendly. Yeah. Um, But when I when I think about when I speak before I speak, what would I want somebody to have told me? And Mm -hmm. I can't be afraid. I have to remove the fear of, okay, but what would they say once I say it or what would they say once I write it or what would their you know, what would their image look like? I have to put all of that away. Those mm-hmm. thoughts come to my mind, but I have to put it away and just be as vulnerable as I can and expose the secrets or whatever I feel like I need to expose in order for somebody else to be saved. And I just really feel like I know that my story was not created just for me to experience it. It was it was created for me to be able to experience it, to push through it, but then look at people who haven't been able to muster up the strength that I have. Mm-hmm. And not to say that they're weak, but they just haven't been able to navigate their way through to healing right. and to be able to speak out so they can see what a victor looks like and not mm-hmm. a victim. I didn't want to tell my story like I've been through this and I've been through this and I've been through this. And this is my story. This is the trauma I went through. That's a victim. Yeah. I feel like that would have been a victim standpoint of a book was to just 
reveal all my secrets and what I went through and my trauma and the abuse. Yeah. But I just wanted to tell it in a way of, you know, someone who overcame it. Yeah. And allowing people to see like the, the light posts that yeah. you've seen, because it can help them because we're all on our journey. Right. And yeah. we're all at different places. So for you to yeah. be able to be so far ahead of others who've gone through something so similar, but to be able to say, okay, well, she made it to that point and this is how she got there. I mean, that, that matters to all of us. It matters to you yeah. because it helps you to look back and be a part of someone else's journey. And it matters to those who are behind you because we need you, you know, yeah. and that's what I love yeah. though, about not only your book, but just who you are, Janita, how like Thank you. God is using this life who, you know, could have ended so many different times, but you're still here and you're still speaking and you're so brave and courageous and beautiful and you're exposing the family secrets, not just for your healing, but for everyone's healing. Yeah. Even in your own family, that is Mm -hmm. such a a ministry and it, and it just shows the beauty that can come from our pain. Gosh, you are such an example of that. So, (laughs) Thank you so much. That really means a lot to hear. You know, sometimes I question the journey, but then I have to just remember it's not about me. And that's what keeps me going is it's not about me. So I thank you for even giving me a platform to share my story and being so, you know, willing to allow me to share Mm -hmm. my story. And I hope that, you know, someone was impacted and I'm an open book and I'm not this person that's out of reach. And I don't mind people calling me and asking me questions or inboxing me on Instagram and just asking me certain things because I believe that the way that I want to tell my story, which is why I want to do it in film, is I want to impact generations. I want people to see that transparency and be able to see my journey. I don't want you to just know my story. I want you to know my journey. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was really important in telling my story is showing you the ugly parts too, not just the cute ones, not mm-hmm. just God can do this, <laughs> but I wanted to show you how he did it too. Yes. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. Well, Janita, thank you. We are truly honored to have you with us. And I know your story is going to impact so many of our listeners. Thank you, Nicole. Yes. And, and if please, anyone wants my book, they could just yes. go to my website, uh, JanitaNichols.com and get it. Mm-hmm. And I have, you know, some shirts right now called uh, Nothing But the Blood. Mm-hmm. It's my No More Secrets line that I launched to where people can, you know, wear these secrets and remembering that the secrets that we keep is the ones that's holding us in hostage, you know. So my website is uh, Janita Nichols, but I'm also on Instagram at I am Janita Nichols. Thank you, Janita. Thank you, Nicole. We love you. Thank Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked, even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.